Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. July 19th, 1977, the world teacher, the Christ Maitreya, head of the spiritual hierarchy, emerged from his ancient retreat and is now in the modern world. With his disciples, the masters of the wisdom, he will inaugurate the new age of synthesis and brotherhood. Good morning and welcome to our World Teacher Program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM Presented by Teresa and David on behalf of Share International New Zealand Today's program is titled Hidden Energy and is taken from the transcript of an interview with Jean Manning by Felicity Elliott, Chief Editor of Share International which featured in the September 2021 issue of Share International magazine. Jean Manning is an author and investigator of new science, who set herself the task of exploring some hidden, or perhaps not-so-hidden secrets of the universe. She wanted to discover what lies behind the surface of things. She had intimations that there's more to life and to nature than a superficial look might suggest. Her open-hearted and open-minded approach to life is to observe closely and then dare to ask what if. She's a superb translator of what otherwise could be inaccessible science. In her latest book, co-authored with Susan Manowich, Hidden Energy, Tesla-inspired inventors and a mindful approach to energy abundance, she opens up a new world to the reader. What we learn is that we could clean up our planet and create a brilliant new healthful and harmonious civilization within our lifetime. Felicity Elliott interviewed her for Share International in April 2021. Unfortunately, due to time restrictions, we can't read it in its entirety. Also, please note that when we say SI, we're referring to Share International, and when we say JM, we're referring to Jean Manning. SI, you've been investigating hidden energy for a few decades. JM, yes, actually it was 40 years ago that I met the first inventor investigating the universe's hidden energy or life force. SI, could you tell us how you got into this field of investigation? Were you sceptical at first? JM, I tried to keep a sceptical attitude, but I found myself getting enthusiastic because I saw that the inventors I was meeting were really onto something. My life up to then seemed to lead to this development and steered me in that direction. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, quite often, to meet people and ecology and social justice are also subjects close to my heart. I majored in sociology in university 
because of these social justice issues which were so important to me. The first inventor I met was really a kind of teacher. He certainly inspired me about the possibilities of tapping into a form of energy that is not recognised by today's textbooks but is very real. Anyone who has immersed themselves in nature might also have sensed its influence on all life. SI. As you may know, Benjamin Krem was the founding editor of Share International. It started life mainly to present his information about the return to the world of a group of highly advanced people who are the inspirers behind our new science. Our medical breakthroughs, art and creativity in all fields, new technology and so on. Everything that helps civilization advance. The magazine also set out to be as broad and inclusive as possible and bring together the political, the economic and the spiritual to help redefine these areas of life. As you can see, what you are saying and conveying in your book chimes very much with what Share International is saying. Your work is fascinating and you've made everything so available and clear for the reader. The implications of what you have researched and present are extraordinarily important for us all. Please tell me more about your first inventor teacher and how things progressed. J.M. That inventor was able to talk about potentials for using magnetism in just one of the varieties of breakthrough inventions. That's just one of the ways of tapping into the background energy of the universe. I was introduced to him by someone saying that this man had the answer to the world's need for clean energy technology. He had insights about what could be done and his approach involved magnetism. At that time, the new super powerful magnets were just starting to come out. It was not just my interest in ecology and cleaning up the environment. The spiritual aspect also caught my interest. He was looking for a way to describe this background energy of the universe, which seemed to be coming into his machine to allow it to put out more power than he had put in from the electrical grid or from batteries. He approached philosophical groups in his town to see if they had the answers. An esoteric group did talk about prana, the life force that courses throughout the universe, not just in our bodies. Over the years I've met inventors who have built machines and approached the matter in various ways that are different from the standard methods. We as a society are still basically building electrical motors and generators in old ways, using old models. That has served vested interests because then people don't have energy freedom. You have to live in fear that you may not have enough money to pay the energy bills. SI. So there is something which we call free energy or hidden energy or prana, etheric and other similar words. I take it when you're referring to hidden energy that you're referring to this source of infinite energy, some life energy which is available for all if we find a clean way to tap into it, use it and work with it. J.M. Yes, the title of the book can have several meanings. It can be, as you said, a reference to the background energy of the universe that the ancients called the ether. But it can also refer to the hidden energy coursing through our bodies. 
That relates to how we could be working with that life force in our healthcare. Hidden energy also relates to the energy of synergy, about people working together and realising that they are interconnected. And it definitely refers to the hidden power that lies in each of us that is beyond what is recognised by the materialistic worldview. In my life, I've had it proven to me through experience that we really are more powerful as beings than we've been told. And the power of our thoughts is enormous in the world. So these are the sorts of things that are possible for humanity. I'd like to come back to what you've just mentioned. Social injustices, a lot of them, come on a physical level from the energy technologies that we've used. Underlying that, and more importantly, relating to our thoughts is the whole big belief in scarcity, that there's not enough to go around. And therefore, too many people conclude that social injustice is inevitable because otherwise we're going to be having a lower lifestyle if we're going to take care of all those people over there who don't have enough. And that's not the reality. The universe is all about beneficial abundance. Maybe we're not tapping into it yet because of the scarcity thinking, which creates antagonism to the other. We see the other as a threat to our lives, when in reality there's enough for everybody. If we're responsibly using what the world has to offer humankind and what the universe has to offer in terms of energy abundance. SI. The strange paradox is that while we have the idea of scarcity and therefore also competition, greed and separation built into the system, that puts the opportunity to cooperate and be communal at a seemingly unachievable distance from us. It's also a barrier to synergy. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, the paradox is that our current economic systems have this inbuilt bizarre myth of growth, constant economic growth in a finite system. We think this is possible, whereas it quite clearly is totally illogical. And now the idea is growing that we can go to some other planet and exploit its resources. What you're talking about is the exact opposite, that we have to move into a cleaner, lighter, less polluting form of generating energy. J.M. Yes, we need a shift into a different way of thinking, not just a different technology. We also have to be concerned about the folly of producing more and more products. That's not abundance in the sense of being in harmony with nature and the universe. The belief that gross national product must continually grow is foolish. It results in unwise use of resources and technology. Consumer goods are littering the planet with plastics. Responsibility is key. We need to shift our thinking to realising that we can have abundance but we have to use it responsibly. What we're doing to the planet just breaks my heart. I live in British Columbia where the government's forestry department has just become a tool of the forest industry, which is all about extraction of resources. We still have a colonial mentality of taking, rather than finding ways to live with and in harmony with other systems. And scientists these days are not as independent as they once were. They can't just dedicate themselves to pure knowledge. 
because the corporations that are funding the universities have a certain direction that they want to see developed. But I'd like to go back to something you were saying about a universal approach to healthcare. If we had had a unified intention to develop technologies in harmony with nature, including in healthcare, and if there weren't this ignorance about the life force, people's immune systems would be a lot stronger. I have seen the results of the health sciences practitioners who are working with the life force instead of against it. It's helped my own personal health to have been the beneficiary of these sorts of approaches to health. You're listening to the World Teacher Programme on Wellington's Access Radio, 106.1 FM. SI, perhaps we could look at some of the new ways in which inventors are generating energy. JM. The first inventor I met used magnetism to create motion, turning a shaft to generate electricity. Others are working on solid-state devices. A solid-state circuit can be built in such a way that it's working with the principles of electrical resonance. It's been proven by some of the researchers that they are getting more electrical output than they put in. One of them, the late Floyd Sweet, was putting out an amazing amount of energy compared to the input. The most cautious conservative report by a credible witness to Sweet's device was that a tiny electrical signal triggered an electrical output at least four times as powerful. Sweet claimed to have measured outputs that were a million times more electricity than what was input. Hidden Energy also chronicles more recent solid-state experiments such as the Manalus device, which charged the batteries of an electric car. There are other varieties of the energy technology. There's plasma reactions and working with water in ways where it isn't standard electrosis but rather working in ways that a thundercloud works with microscopic implosions and the etheric energy rushing in at those points. That's pretty technical, but the basic problem the inventors run up against is everybody knows you can't have a free lunch. That idea is really drilled into us. However, the energy inventors and the scientists who are working on the theory to understand what it is that the inventors are doing are dealing with open systems as opposed to the closed system idea which says you can't have more output than input. Well, solar power operates in an open system. You don't put the photovoltaics in a box and isolate it from the environment. It's actually in the environment that the input comes from, that is the sun's rays. Wind power too operates in an open system where there's energy coming in from the environment. Solar and wind are unreliable in contrast to converters of etheric energy. They don't need sunlight or wind and they work day and night. And with the smaller new energy generators we don't have to mine all those metals that it takes to create giant windmills for instance. 
There's so much ignorance being exhibited in today's choices, whether it is in healthcare or energy sciences. And the worst of all, in my opinion, is the big push right now towards more nuclear power. You find that now in the environmental community, even in people who really want answers to the problems that beset our environment. Their concern is the amount of carbon being released into the atmosphere, so they see nuclear fission as the answer. But it is not. It is not the answer. It is so irresponsible to future generations, let alone our own, even if they use the small modular nuclear reactors, which are the big buzzword right now. We're still dealing with nuclear radioactive material. This is not the legacy to leave our children and grandchildren. SI, I notice that you make the point that a lot of the old technologies and the old ways of creating energy are based on violent or aggressive approaches. The splitting of the atom, for instance. What you're pointing to, and all of the pioneering new energy that scientists are investigating, is a less aggressive way of approaching the generation of energy. You may know that Benjamin Krem and the inspirers behind him, who we refer to as the Masters of Wisdom, were quite clear about nuclear energy. Nuclear energy, as it is now based on nuclear fission, is a disaster for the planet, for the human frame and our immune system. It was Benjamin Krem's information that the effects of nuclear radiation on a person's etheric body, which are not yet picked up by the medical science, are showing themselves in diseases of the immune system and in devastating consequences in the nervous system so that we see an increase in people suffering from Alzheimer's disease at a much younger age. Many of the energy scientists you worked with and studied also seem to be investigating fusion, the use of water and other methods to generate energy. J.M. The fusion method that is considered at present by big science is also harmful. It too is a violent method. Particle accelerators use violence against the atom. The problem is that big science enjoys all the big money. Meanwhile, the small-scale reactions found in the new inventions are more likely to be in harmony with the way nature works. I just wanted to add that I'm glad you're aware of the health effects of nuclear energy as it is produced today. When I was made aware of the possibility that our nuclear technologies are even affecting the life force in the atmosphere, it hit me like a blow to my stomach. I intuitively knew that there was something to this, that the harmful effect was real and is a part of what's affecting weather systems. It's not the whole picture. That's not the only contributing factor, but it is an aspect of our unstable weather patterns. An excess of the radioactive form of energy is, the ergonomists say, emitted even by supposedly safe nuclear reactors without even having had an accident. They say too that it sickens the life force in the atmosphere. Yes, I. Yes, that was Benjamin Krem's information too. All the power stations should be shut down immediately because they are the source of a lot of toxicity of that kind. What we're saying in a way is that all this new technology is ready to be given to humanity but our structures and our systems, the political, economic, financial systems, our scientific thinking, 
big science and vested interests. All of this is not yet quite in sync with the forerunners who are being inspired and are ready to move forward. But until enough people are ready for change, and until there's sufficient change, it may not be safe to put out there, unguarded, unprotected, some of the amazing insights the pioneer scientists and researchers have. It seems to be a question of timing, and that we, humanity, have to be willing to abandon ideas like economic growth, scarcity, competition and so on. We know that many blueprints for all sorts of innovations have been shelved. People have been told to forget about them, or paid off, or worse. JM, it's a huge educational challenge to bring widespread awareness, and I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. We need to reach decision makers in all sorts of areas, economists, educators, regional and national planners, so that they have the vision instead of allowing the corporations to impose their agenda of how they can make the most profits. Corporate lobbyists influence laws and regulations in their own favour. As a result, there's no funding for unconventional research. I hear big announcements from different levels of government in different countries claiming that they are really interested in advanced energy research. Yet the way they write up their requests for proposals, there's no place for non-conventional research and development. It's all business as usual. Even solar and wind power have become big business too. Though obviously they're certainly better than the dominant fuel consumption industries. But those current alternatives are not natural either. Like a solar farm, if you cover acres and acres of land, with solar voltaic panels, that's not natural. About a century and a half ago, it used to be that for people who aspired to be scientists, the apex of knowledge was to be a natural philosopher. That meant independent thinking and observation of how things work in nature. And that's how advances were made around the time of Nikola Tesla. Scientists were people who tuned in to the natural world and its workings. They studied nature and observed the vortexian movements of water and air. There's still so much yet to be learned as the emerging scientists are discovering what's going on in the cosmos and seeing more of this vortexian movement. Emerging science is being helped by independent researchers who are doing things like winding electrical coils in such a way that one force doesn't oppose another what one inventor calls the mirror image symmetry because that's natural it's not helpful to be opposing then there's also dealing with water what enhances the vitality of water these are the kinds of questions that drive new energy research it's beautiful really it's all part of the interconnectedness as you say of all life and the new knowledge is interconnected Often in many of the conferences I've gone to in the past 30 years, I've been to dozens of new energy conferences, there are serious scientists working in the field of new energy. Often there will be speakers talking about advances in healthcare, because when they're working on understanding whatever the forces that they're tapping into, they suddenly get an insight into working with our bodies, with the energy chakras. What excites me is the vision of what could be when we're not afraid of scarcity, 
or afraid of each other because somebody might take a resource away from our country. Rather, humankind could pool its knowledge to come up with new materials. There's already been an indication that the transmutation of some elements is happening in some of these new devices. So what could we build if we had really strong but translucent, beautiful material to build with? Let's not forget the function of beauty. If we get back in harmony with nature, its beauty can nourish us far more than a bunch of plastic toys. We will see that beauty is important in architecture or in anything we surround ourselves with. SI, I love the vision of the future you're sketching there. You've talked about beauty, responsibility. You mentioned, like that well-known saying attributed to Gandhi, there's enough for everyone's need, but not their greed. So you're sketching the outlines of a future which could be absolutely brilliant, which could take us to the stars and beyond, could be far better and more beautiful than our wildest dreams at present. This is so heartening. The work you've done, the research being carried out. Perhaps the breakthrough will come when we learn to live more simply and with less and to truly value and treasure our resources. Perhaps we'll learn to relate differently to nature and to live as the ancients did and the indigenous peoples have always done, knowing that this is a living conscious life. Perhaps the breakthrough will come when what we depend on, like our economic structures, break down. Perhaps we will wake up then. JM, you sum up the vision beautifully. Yes, the breakthrough will require a critical mass of humankind waking up. And each of us, any individual, can help make it happen by envisioning what we want instead of creating a dystopia. Scientists such as Dr. William Tiller have proven how powerful and creative our thoughts are. The call to action in hidden energy is to be the consciousness shift as well as support the clean energy transition. Our book ends with, as a first step, just imagine, in detail and with heartfelt gratitude, living in a harmonious civilization on a regenerated earth. And that ends the interview. As a reminder, the book is called Hidden Energy, Tesla-Inspired Inventors and a Mindful Path to Energy Abundance by Jean Manning and Susan Manowich, published by Friesen Press, Canada, September 2019. And for more information, please visit jeanmanning.com, spelt J-E-A-N-E-M-A-N-N-I-N-G.com. And that's our program for today. To inquire about Share International magazine subscriptions, books by Benjamin Krem or our monthly free-of-charge newsletter, which contains extracts from the current Share International magazine, the number is 04-234-1133. That number again is 04-234-1133. All right, to P.O. Box 9576 Wellington. Thank you for listening to us on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM and please tune in to our next World Teacher Programme on Saturday the 27th of November at the usual time of 10am. 
You can listen again to this program and previous ones by visiting our website at share-international-nz.info and click on the radio tab. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.